0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Great to see you today. Hey, thanks, Todd, for... um, Thanks for all the... the the whole band for the singing. You you guys, if you haven't been here um, much, or maybe you're new to Bethel, um, the last song we sang uh, is one of my favorite songs. That's a Todd Wright song. He and uh, a guy named Ross King co-wrote that together, and um, you might have heard it. The uh, little band called the Newsboys did it, but... um, That's a Todd Wright song, and I I love when we sing it. I love that song. I love um, everything about it, and I'm thankful uh, for Todd and for his ministry. Hey, a couple of things uh, real quick to to inform you about. Um, If you're uh, new to Bethel, or you've been poking around here, or visiting, or Um, been here a while, but just say, I don't know if this is going to be my church home or not, I want to invite you Wednesday night to come to Discover Bethel. It's a great opportunity for you to come and look under the hood at Bethel Bible Church to kind of uh, peek behind the curtain and see uh, what's going on around here. Meet some of the staff and elders um, find out about uh, what we do and 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 why we do what we do, and um, just an opportunity to ask some questions. It's a great night. We'll feed you Wednesday night, and then we've got a couple of uh, follow-up Sunday morning deals after that. But it's a, it is it's a great night. It's one of my favorite nights. Uh, one of my favorite things to do here at Bethel is discover Bethel. So I'd love for you to join us, and you can um, sign up today on the website. Um, all that information's there, or it's in the bulletin. Just let us know that you're going to come. We'd love for you to be there. And then uh, by way of just information, we're going to conclude our series on Micah this morning, Micah chapter 7. And next week, we're going to start a series on prayer. We're going to look at prayer for the month of November. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh man, well, I'm not going to come to that because I'm going to be super convicted because I don't pray enough. And if I come, all I'm going to hear about is I should pray more and I'm going to be convicted. Well, let me go ahead and get that out of the way You don't pray enough, you should pray more. There, all right? So, uh, But that's not really the aim of it. The aim of it is, hopefully, yes, you'll leave um, Sunday mornings. Hopefully, um, this month of November will be a time that if prayer is something you struggle with, um, which, let me go ahead and spoil that for you, you do, uh, it would reinvigorate that. It might um, sort of uh, rekindle that in your mind uh, and in your heart. But also we want to understand some things about prayer. So why should we pray? And if God is sovereign over all things um, and is unchanged, same yesterday and today and tomorrow, why you know, why pray and, and all of that stuff. So, so we really want to wrestle with prayer. My goal is not to spend four weeks and beat you over the head uh, making you feel guilty because you don't pray enough. My hope is is that we would all look at it and and really be encouraged at this, at this thing that, um, that we have, that the God of the universe invites us into his presence. And so I, I want, I want um, more of that. And so we'll, we'll look at that uh, beginning next week. All right, so here we go. If you've got your Bibles, go to Micah chapter 7. Uh, Micah chapter 7, we're going to end our series in the book of Micah. This morning, and to do that, I will um, begin by announcing that tomorrow is the 499th anniversary of one of the greatest days um, short of the cross of Jesus in human history. It is the 499th anniversary of the day that Martin Luther wrote the 95 Theses and went and nailed them onto the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. The year was 1517, and Martin Luther had had it up to here. He was not a terribly politically correct guy anyway, had a little bit of a temper. There was a guy named Johann Tetzel, who had come to town. He was a fiery Catholic preacher who had come to town. He'd been commissioned by the Pope to come and to preach indulgences. He'd set up a tent revival in Wittenberg, and a bunch of folks from Luther's congregation had gone to the tent revival and had purchased indulgences. And they'd come back to Luther and said, hey, this is really great, but we don't have to confess sins anymore. In fact, we paid for all of our sins. Uh, we wrote Tetzel a check. In fact, not just for our sins, but for the sins of all the people that, we, that were in our family that died. and So we're good. Um, thanks. And, and Luther had it up to there. And the whole idea of indulgences was this. So the, the um, economic... System of salvation, the economy of salvation in the Catholic Church was that you um, you you could confess your sin, and you needed to do that. Um, You you needed to do that. That was um, part of how you could secure getting into heaven. But but. And you had to do that, but that, wasn't, that wouldn't be enough because ultimately you, you couldn't confess enough or be contrite enough or repentant enough to cover for your sins. You, you couldn't be sorry enough for your sins. So what would happen is when you died, you would go to a place called purgatory. And purgatory was this grace It was designed to allow you to have some little extra time between life and eternal life. So that you could pay for your sins. And indulgences, literally, they meant kindnesses, were offered by the Pope. You could buy indulgences. And indulgences, really, they were like tickets to fast forward your way through purgatory. So you could buy indulgences to shorten your time in purgatory, is essentially the way that it was. And Luther had had it. The system was corrupt. And listen, the, the people now, now listen, they're, they're no different than you and I were, okay? I mean, they were desperate for some hope. I mean, they wanted some assurance. These, these were the powers that be. This was the religious system. These were the people that were to be trusted. And they said, listen, if you, if you die and you want to know where you're going... And you want some security, here we offer it. And not only do we offer the security, we'll give you a certificate you can hang on your wall. And there's something comforting about that. Listen, no different than you and I. And yet Luther knew the corruption. And and in many ways, and 1517, on October the 31st, he stood lonely and alone in the world and cried out, This is wrong. This is not the way of salvation. You cannot pay for your sin. There is never Anything you can do, there is not enough that you could ever do. See, you do not understand the gravity of your sin if you think there is something you can do about it. So he wrote the 95 Theses. He nails them to the door in the Theses. He says it would be better if St. Peter's Basilica burned to the ground than it be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of this sheep. He ends it by saying this to the Christians. He, he knew it would be hard. He knew it would be a hard message to accept. From 1517 to 1521 is really the, is the hard work of the Reformation. I mean, he endured great scorn. They burned his books. They brought him before trials and councils. 1521, the dying of worms. He wrote at the end of it. He knew it would be hard. He exhorted the Christians to imitate Christ, even if it brings pain and suffering. Because enduring punishment, enduring hardship, enduring scorn, enduring for the truth, and entering heaven is preferable to a thousand false securities. He was saying, look, the world is always going to offer you some place to go. The world's always going to say, no, 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 look, here, we have this and a certificate you can put on your wall. What Luther said, what the Apostle Paul will say, what Micah says this morning, No, there is one way of salvation. There is one way. And do not kid yourself. Every other way is broken. The world is coming to the full fruition of the curses spelled out in Genesis chapter 3. So look with me, we'll look at this in Micah chapter 7. The first seven verses he will rehearse um, in some different way his <clears throat> indictment on the people. He, he's going to talk really in different ways about it. it. It's his analysis of how corrupt the society is. And when he speaks about the society, remember he's talking about God's people. These are the chosen people. This is This is this is God's people. They, were, they weren't who they were supposed to be. And then he's going to, beginning in verse 8, he's going to begin to build towards hope until he gets to this great crescendo at the end. So listen to these first seven verses. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, No first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come, and now your, their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats his father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So what he's saying is, listen, the corruption of the nation is, is infiltrated to the point that even the most intimate and secure of relationships are marked with this, with this strife, with this distrust, with this enmity. That, that what happened in the garden, this, this societal corruption... Has made its way. Listen, nobody's immune. Israel's not immune. The world has encroached upon Israel and now it is corrupt down to its core, even down to the very heart of the most intimate of relationships. Everything the promised land was supposed to be it wasn't. Everything the chosen people were supposed to be it wasn't. Everything that intimate relationships were supposed to be they weren't. And he uses this metaphor this the summer fruit, you know, the the winter's passed and you You look forward to it in the spring, and the summer comes, and the professionals, they've gone through the fields, and now it's time for the gleaning. And you come through the gleaning, and there's nothing there. There's nothing left. And he looks upon the people, and he says, Where's the godly people? And he says, There's no godly people. There's no righteous people. There's no people that love mercy. There's no people that seek justice. There's nobody that does good. There's nobody. In fact, in verse 3 he says, I'll tell you what we find. We find people who, are, who have excelled in doing evil. There are people who have a Ph.D. in evil, both hands committed to the success of evil. It, he's speaking about a belligerent rebellion, a deliberate rebellion on the part Of the leaders. It's an organized, he used the word weave it together rebellion. Every level cooperating together in evil, traitors. And they're working on the inside and they're working against all good, seeking to dismantle every vestige of righteousness amongst the people of God. The society so broken, so systemically broken, that it is systematically working against the good of its people. And I'll tell you, I worked so hard. I I scoured my illustration files looking for an illustration of this. I couldn't find anything. I mean, really, I even looked at the news today. I couldn't find anything. I mean, the world seems to be doing just fine, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's past. Maybe it's different. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, seriously, can you believe it? Every day you wake up and you think, no, no that really can't be happening. Really? 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 How? How? is this happening? Do we even know what the truth is anymore? I mean, do we even know what... No, not the truth. Do we even know what truth is? I mean, it's an honor. I felt yesterday... I was Leslie will tell you, and this happens to me every now and then. It's a bad day. I was in the darkest black hole yesterday on Twitter. I mean, I am just looking. I mean, I'm looking at WikiLeaks. I don't even know what it is. I'm looking at it. And I'm looking... I mean, I am... I, I am down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theory yesterday. You would not believe. (laughs) All right? So I'm pretty sure aliens have invaded our planet. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, I felt at the end of yesterday, I mean, so my heart was just so broken. Like I needed to sit down and write my grandchildren a letter to say I'm sorry. And I don't even have grandchildren yet. So I'm sorry. I was alive at this time, and I could not, I I guess, I could not do anything about this. I don't know. Here's the thing: there's nothing new under the sun. You know when this started? Genesis chapter 3. The woman eats of the tree, and she gives it to the man, and then the God comes and says, Where are you? He knows where they were. We've covered herself, and what happened to you? Well, the woman gave me something to eat, and was the serpent and the one blame after the other, and they kicked out of the garden. And, and it has been that way ever since. And, 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 and really, I mean, we're not immune from it. We're not immune from it. We're as broken as the world has ever been. We are not reading anything new in Micah chapter 7. We are not experiencing anything new today. Somebody was asking me, I can't, I'm ranting, I'm sorry. Thus says Ross, not thus says the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, I asked this several times, and every time I, I try to answer the same, I fumble around similarly to the same. Well, what are you gonna do? How, how do? how does a Christian vote this time? You know, how do we vote? Uh, and I assume they're asking me as a pastor, and, and, and I appreciate that. And I said, well, listen, I, I don't know how to answer you as a pastor. I May mean, I do, but let me answer you as a person who also is a pastor. So I said, I guess the way I would say it is, is that we have an opportunity this year to vote maybe how we always should have been voting. And that is with an absolute posture of humility and dependence upon God. Because there's absolutely no dependence we can put upon man, right? Or, or woman. There, there's no dependence. I mean, there's no hope that we can cast for a system, is there? Our hope is in God. Somebody asked me this morning as I came in, on November 9th, who, you know, who's in charge? So, said, well, Jesus, the same as today, right? It doesn't scare me. why Micah says here did you see this in verse 7 but but as for me I will look to the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation see see, just before this he said look everything that intimacy relationship was meant to be they're not when it's not safe to trust those closest to you there's betrayal there's conspiracy there's secret plotting see you don't know who's in on it is what he's saying It's deeply sad. You don't know where people stand. It's the state of the nation. It's the state of the people. It's the state of the home. It's like this dark spy conspiracy. Jesus will say the same thing, Matthew chapter 10. It's the cost of following him, he said. He tells us, listen, this is the cost of following me. This is what he says. And he quotes Micah. For I have come to set man against father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That's what Jesus says. You know what he's saying? There is a cosmic conspiracy against God and it will bring persecution to those who align themselves with the righteous one. In other words, Christianity is dangerous. Might be dangerous physically, at the very least it will be dangerous socially, economically. It will be dangerous. One writer says, and he's right, being in Christ can transform relationships. It can also destroy them. And this is not some end time affair. Jesus is still describing what will be the characteristic of a present age. So, faithfulness to Christ may make family relationships worse. Those who loved you most may hate you more. And it's a truth that many in our world know the reality of today. I mean, the Voice of the Martyrs publication. You can read that. You can the Operation World website. You can. You just ask the missionaries that Bethel supports. But Paul Tanner was in the first hour this morning. He's one of our missionaries to the Middle East. You can ask, ask Paul Tanner next time you see him. Is this true? Is Christianity dangerous? Is that a threat? It is. You know, part of the role of the church Is, is that as, when we teach God's Word and, and we seek to <clears throat> cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in us as a church and, and as individuals, part of that is to prepare us, to encourage us, to live in this world, listen. I, I, you know this, but the way that this book goes, it gets worse before it gets better. To help prepare you in the event that it gets worse, that's why the prophet Micah says in chapter, in verse seven. I will look to the Lord. He's standing against and He is standing alone. This is no guarantee of safety in waiting. Might get worse before it gets better. But no matter the worst that might come, the object of our hope does not change. Micah does not seek to save himself. He is waiting on a savior. He's, he's not looking to himself. He's not looking to a government. He's not looking to a third party to bring salvation. He's looking to the Lord. He is waiting on the God of my salvation. And by faith, he believes. Notice what he believes. He believes that God can be turned to. He believes that God is the hope of his salvation. He believes that God hears and sees and will save he believes that. Listen, to be a believer means to live with a faith that cannot be easily disillusioned. So if you went to the hall the of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 to read about the faith of the saints... You would be reading along, and you, you would be greatly inspired about their faith. And then you would come to this, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Some were tortured, refused, uh, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were Killed with a sword, they went to about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God, was, God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made Perfect meaning God was bringing all of this together. All the people of faith were coming together in Jesus. And so, where Micah says, I will wait on God, we say, He has come and is coming. See this? Well, beginning in verse 8, he's going to turn the corner, and here begins the hope. And the hope is going to build, okay? And so the hope is going to go this way. So, so there's going to be this, uh, he's going to speak about there's this humble state that the people are in, and then there's going to be the restoration of the city, and then there's going to show how God's going to care for his people. And so, so just listen to how this goes in verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon His vindication Then my enemy will see, and my shame will come over. Uh, My shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire in the streets. It's this humble state. It says, Look, okay, my enemies, they rejoice over me now, but they won't then. When I fall, I'm going to rise. I might sit in darkness now, but the Lord's going to bring me into the light. I I know that I've sinned against Him, but He's going to vindicate me. He's going to plead my case. He's going to execute justice for me. Listen, what He's saying is we have not been totally abandoned by God. We are totally abandoned to God. And that's so important. You are not abandoned by God. You are completely abandoned to God. He's going to pick up in verse 11. A day for the building of your walls. It's going to be in the millennial kingdom. The great city is going to be restored. and In that day, the boundary should be far extended. In that day, they will come to you. From Assyria, from the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the river from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain, where where your people have been scattered, they're going to come back and they're going to bring with them people who are enemies who now are going to come know what it is to worship you. But the earth, it will be desolate because of the inhabitants, the fruits of their deeds. Where the world says, no, 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 we know what's right, then the fruit of all that will be desolation. Fourteen, shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest, in the midst of the garden land, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Shepherd us. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for your rod and thy staff, they will comfort us. Make us lie down in green pastures. Lead us beside the still waters. You'll restore our soul. And in the days of old, when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might, and they shall lay their heads their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Here's the deal. When the king shows up, when the shepherd is present, there's no like middle line, right? I mean, there's no, I mean, you're hot, you're cold. There's no like middle person. There's no somebody that says, well, I'm kind of, you know. I mean you're you're in or you're out. You're you worship him in all humility falling before him, or in your arrogance, you will perish. That's it. see the most important thing about all this is not Israel's victory or God's victory over Israel's enemies, but it is God's victory over the hearts of the people of Israel. It's God's victory over the hearts of his people. Look at verses 18 through 20. This is like the crescendo. This is like, this is this is some of the the highest summit in the Old Testament. Listen to this. Who is a God like you? By the way, do you know what Micah's name means? It means. Who is a God like you? Do you know what this is in the Hebrew? Micah. Who is a God like you? You know what the answer is? No one. There is no God like you. And he's going to tell us why. Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. The remnant of his inheritance? Who who does this? I mean, it's almost as though Micah goes, haven't you read all the other stuff I've written? What do you mean? you? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast our sins into the depths of the ocean. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you've shown to our fathers from the days of old. You will because you promised. Even the Corruption of the world. Even the systematic evil that has infiltrated the most intimate of our relationships. Even the evil that has been revealed in the blackness of my heart does not keep me from the promise that you've made. It does not change your steadfast love. It will not keep you from pardoning iniquity. It will not keep you from treading underfoot my sin. It will not keep you from sending your Son, Jesus, to live the life I was supposed to live, that I'm responsible to live, that I'm accountable to live, and to die the death that I deserve. It will not keep you from laying every one of my sins, past, present, and future, upon him it will not keep you from pouring out your infinite wrath upon your eternal son and in turn loving me it won't keep you from that who is like this God there is not one like him So that's Micah's point You see, it's at this point that Micah and the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther, for that standpoint, ran into the critics of their day. You know why Micah is saying, Who's like this God? Because Micah would preach and say that they would say, No. Micah, you got it all wrong. That's not how God is. Micah said, Yeah, that is how he is. And then Paul would say, Listen, this is how God is. This is how grace and mercy works. That God, that God does it all. And that there's not anything you can do. And that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. that your sin is more horrendous than you could ever imagine. And yet God's grace is more than you could ever fathom. And it is God who saves you. It is His loving kindness that does. And so Paul's critics would say, oh, so you're saying our sin doesn't matter. You're saying so we ought to sin more so that grace abounds more. And so then Paul has to write in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. See you don't understand. See you don't understand God's grace if that's your response. If your response to God's grace, His unending matchless, eternal grace is, well, it doesn't matter what I do then. I can can do whatever I want. He'll forgive me. Then you don't understand His grace. Then you haven't been overwhelmed by His grace and you certainly don't understand the magnitude of your sin. That's what He'd say. That's why John would write in his letter, 1 John, if you confess your sin, if He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then in Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I write this, I'm telling you this, so that you wouldn't sin. See, we think about it this way. We think, oh, well, here's what I've got to do. I've got to be holy so that God will love me more. The more holy I am, the more God will love me. The less I sin, the more God loves me. The the better I am, the more I'm 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 Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I write this, I'm telling you this, so that you wouldn't sin. See, we think about it this way. We think, oh, well, here, here's what I've got to do. I've got to be holy so that God will love me more. The more holy I am, the more God will love me. The less I sin, the more God loves me. The, the better I am, the more I'm 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 grace I get see that's the way we think so I'll be good and God will like me more see I know we listen we we may in our minds know better but that's how we operate that's why Michael would say who Who is a God like you? There is no other God like this God. See, we've got to fully grasp the grace and the mercy of God. Unconditional, unending, everlasting love. That's the only motivation for a holy life. It's not what you do. It is what He has done. When you walk out of here, the only motivation for your holiness is the love that God has poured out on you. If you walk out of here with any other motivation, you, you are not, you're not going to make it. So let me illustrate this. I'm going to illustrate it. James Boyce illustrates it by telling a story on Donald Gray Barnhouse. Donald Gray Barnhouse died in 1960. He pastored the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia I don't know why there had to be 10 but there was and he pastored it for 33 years And if you ever come across an old bookstore and you find something that says Donald Gray Barnhouse pick it up because be it's a treasure All right, it doesn't matter what it is pick it up, read it it's great, you'll be blessed let me tell us this story that Boyce tells to illustrate this and then, then we'll be done This is Boyce telling the story on Barnhouse. Barnhouse had been holding meetings on a college campus and had been approached by one of the young professors at the close of a meeting. The professor told a sad story. During the First World War, he had become a Christian. He had fallen in with bad companions while living in Paris and had fallen into sexual sin. Having returned home, he had become a Christian. He would fallen in love with a Christian girl who also loved him. However, he hesitated to tell her of his love because he was afraid his past sin might lead him to sin again and thus wound her. What should he do? He stated his problem to Barnhouse and waited for an answer. Barnhouse advised him that if he wanted to share his life with the girl, he must do so completely, telling her the whole story so that there would be no barriers between them. Besides, he said, her knowledge of his weakness would help him at every step of the way. And then he told him this story. Some time before, two other people had come into Barnhouse's life and had shared a similar set of experiences. The man had also lived a life of great sexual sin, but had been converted and eventually had come to marry a fine Christian woman. He had confided to her the nature of his past life in a few words. After he had told her these things, the wife kissed him and said, John, I want you to know, I understand something. I know my Bible well, and therefore I know the subtlety of sin and the devices of sin working in the human heart. I know you are a thoroughly converted man, but I also know that you still have an old nature, and you are not yet as fully instructed in the ways of God as you will be. The devil will do all he can to wreck your Christian life. And he will see to it that temptations of every kind will be put in your way. And the day might come, please God, that it never shall. The day might come when you will succumb to the temptation and fall into sin. Immediately the devil will tell you that it's no use in trying. That you might as well continue on in sin and that above all you are Not to tell me because it will hurt me, but John, I want you to know that here in my arms is your home. When I married you, I married your old nature as well as your new nature. I want you to know there is full pardon and forgiveness in advance for any evil that may ever come into your life. While Barnhouse told this story, the college professor, the the man kept his face covered with his hands However, at this point, he he lifted his eyes and through his tears said reverently, my God, if anything could ever keep a man straight, that would be it. See, God's the God of forgiveness. You know what? He excels at it. As with all of his attributes. He wants you to know precisely who he is. He wants you to know fully his love for you. It is no license to sin. It is the only motivation that would keep you from it. To know the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Martin Luther, in one of his dark moments, a difficult time, the end of... uh, in 1521, after the Diet of Worms, after this very difficult time, he sat down afterwards and he wrote this hymn. It sums up the end of Micah here, and it will sum up our study. And our time together this morning. It's called Out of the Depths I Cry. Wherefore, my hope is in the Lord, my works I count but dust. I build not there, but on His word, and in His goodness trust. Up to His care, myself I yield. He is my tower, my rock my shield, and for His help I tarry. Though great our sins and sore our wounds and deep and dark our fall, His helping mercy hath no bounds, His love surpassing all. Our trusty living shepherd He who shall at last set Israel free from all her sin, and sorrow. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the inspired prophecy message written down by Micah from Moresheth, the man from nowhere who stepped into the capital city of Judea and with courage and boldness spoke your word your beautiful and clear and true and precious word into the midst of a morally corrupt and bankrupt people and that father the 8th century B.C., it was a light in the darkness. And Father, in the 21st century A.D., it shines a light in the darkness. And we thank you for the timing of this study in our day. Thank you for what you've done in our church over these last weeks. Thank you for what you've done in my life over these last weeks. As we've gotten to know your prophet Micah. Brothers, we've gotten to know You better. Pray this morning You would draw us to Your Son, Jesus. That as You draw us to Him, as we see Him more clearly, as we examine the the marks on His hand and the piercing in His side and His glorified body, as He radiates in Your beauty and perfection that we Father, we'd see and we'd know the great cost of the rebellion and the vile sin of our life. And yet, Father, it was His love and grace and mercy that He endured the cross, endured the shame, To the point He could say, it is finished. You could declare that you were satisfied. That Father, your grace is poured out by us as we trust Him. And you clothe us in His perfection. Who is a God like you? No one. So, Father, we pray to you this morning the only way we can, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit, get all the glory. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com.